Most of the salt and pepper shakers you see come from China, and you can usually always tell the old ones because they have uh, cork on the bottom. In the last decade, in the last 15 years, Cambodians have been planting a lot, and that is starting to literally bear fruit, that investment in planting those vines. And if there's the one thing that people, I think, will pretty quickly be educated about, it's the fact that whatever you do, just use freshly ground pepper because then you get the flavor as well as the heat. This is The Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. But also, the market is now open. It was closed for a long time. Cambodia was, was completely shut down during the Khmer Rouge years. So now it's open for export, which is quite exciting for the Cambodian farmers. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. I'm a maritimer. That means I talk to strangers comfortably. I ask questions. People from away might call this nosy or judgmental, but I disagree. When we chat with someone new, all we're doing is looking for connection because we can almost always make one. Sometimes these connections take a while to uncover. I'm thinking about my neighbor, Tony. He's a tall, distinguished man in his 80s. He wears multiple gold rings on his fingers. Sometimes he wears Chanel sunglasses. We've chatted many times over the years. He is saucy, and I'm polite. So we didn't get too far. We didn't connect until I wandered up his driveway and peeked through his kitchen window. I know it sounds bad, but I couldn't help it. The windows are lined with his extensive cherry red glass collection. It sparkles. Tony spotted me, but guess what? He invited me in. The tiny kitchen alone is a showroom of Bakelite kitchen tools. Bakelite is that early 20th century heat-proof plastic that was used in the handles of kitchenware. And then there are his platters and the plates and his salt and pepper shaker collection. It is so inspiring. And I wanted to hear the story behind everything. And Tony was happy to tell me in his teasing, saucy way. We had connected. Today on The Food Podcast, I'll talk with Louise and Nigel Bigger of Drone Pepper. They distribute single-origin peppercorns from the province of Kampot, Cambodia. We'll dive into their story and explore how a common foodstuff like peppercorns can connect people from Cambodia to Halifax to Toronto to Copenhagen and back again. Black pepper. It's something that's been sitting on my table, beside the salt, as long as I can remember. At some point, the matching salt and pepper shakers from my mother's Johnson Brothers Hearts and Flowers set was replaced with a pepper grinder. The lone salt shaker was allowed to stay. I'm not sure when that happened, but I do remember the change of action, the passing of the shaker, the twisting rather than the shaking and the cracked pepper adding a new dimension to the food. Several years later in my kitchen, the salt shaker was replaced with a little wooden bowl used exclusively for Malden flaky sea salt from England, or French fleur de sel, if I'm lucky. Every time I rub the crystals between my fingers, letting the bits of salt fall into the finished dishes, a story from living in those places pops into my head. 
The pepper grinder sits beside the salt bowl, but the pepper inside, I have to admit, I've never thought about the peppercorns inside or where they came from or what stories they had to tell. Black pepper. Piper nigrum is a flowering vine native to Malabar on the southwestern coast of India. These vines grew wild in the Malabar forests, using tree trunks as support beams. Malabar was once a major trading center with Mesopotamia, Egypt, Greece, Rome, Jerusalem, and with the Arabs, and later with China. The vines were transported from Malabar to other tropical areas like Brazil, Madagascar, and Southeast Asian countries, like Vietnam and Cambodia. The vines thrived in Cambodia, as did the peppercorns. Some say they're the best in the world. Something about the quartz in the soil, the sun, the rain, the high elevation, the care they were given. There were a few challenges, to say the least. During the Khmer Rouge era in the 1960s and 70s, peppercorn plantations were dug up and replaced with rice fields. But now the farmers are reverting back and the vines are thriving. Kampot peppercorns were the first Cambodian product to receive a protected geographical indication, the same certification that protects products like Parmesan cheese or champagne. Cambodia was under French colonial rule for a long time, and during that period, it exported, I think, a close to a thousand tons of peppercorns every year to That's Nigel Bigger, one half of Drome Pepper. As it turns out, Nigel and I went to university together. We overlapped for a year, but then Nigel took a few years off to live and work in Ecuador, where he set up a carpentry shop with street kids. And that got him hooked on using business as a way of helping people to improve their living conditions. And that led to a career in microfinance. We didn't meet that year at university, but here we are now, connecting over food stories. The French cuisine used a lot of pepper and white, red, and black, all of it appears in French cuisine. And a lot of it was coming from Kampong, Cambodia, because it is so special. During the Khmer Rouge years, the industry was shut down. So it went from a thousand tons a year to nothing. And last year, I think Cambodia exported 50 tons of Kampong pepper. 50 tons. I think it's planning on getting to 500 tons in the next three or four years. That plays into the three, the four-year leg. We plant peppercorn vine today. It'll spike fruit and be on a 12-foot vine in four years. And it'll spike fruit that we can harvest and, and export in four years in Cambodia. In the last decade, in the last 15 years, Cambodians have been planting a lot. And that is starting to literally bear fruit, that investment in planting those vines. But also, the market is now open. It was closed for a long time. Cambodia was was completely shut down during the Khmer Rouge years. So now it's open for export, which is quite exciting for the Cambodian farmers. And this is where the drum peppercorn story begins. Not in Cambodia. It begins in Toronto with a family looking for a change. We felt like we were time poor. Between jobs and school and extracurriculars and friends and family, we didn't feel like we had as much time as we wanted to spend together as a family and to to do things together. So we stripped all of those things away. We took away the jobs, the the school, the extracurricular friends and families, and bought a one-way ticket to Cambodia. And our goal was to have an adventure and to do it in a really exciting part of the world. So we got a one-way ticket to Cambodia, landed in Kampot, and made up the rest of the trip from that point on. We were in Southeast Asia, so Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. We spent about two and a half months in India, and then and we were in Southern Africa, South Africa and Botswana for the, for the last part of the trip. We have lived in Toronto for 
eight years. I grew up in Toronto, but left a long time ago. Louisa and I met in Washington, D.C. The girls were born there. We have twins that are nine years old now. When the girls were about one year old, Louisa and I decided that we really wanted to get them close to their grandparents. And there's a set of grandparents in Toronto. There's another set in Copenhagen in Denmark. So we wanted to get the, the girls close to them. And Toronto was the place that made the most sense. And we'd both been working in international development before that in Washington, D.C. And so we traveled a lot, both together and individually before we met. That's Louisa, Nigel's wife. She's from Denmark. They met while working at the Grameen Foundation in Washington, D.C., where they work with people with low incomes and created initiatives to build financial security. We always talked about taking the girls out of school and travel with them, and we knew that there was going to be this finite window of time where they would be old enough to remember the trip and young enough to still want to travel with us. And we felt that eight or nine would be sort of the perfect age where we would also be able to view the world through their lens and just listen in on their perceptions of what they experienced. So we planted the seed with them a couple years ago, and that's a really effective way of making sure that, that it happens, because as you know, kids that age, they never forget. So once you promise something, it's bound to come to fruition. So they were keen and they carried everything that they needed. So they had these 35 liter backpacks and they knew that if they added something to their backpack, something had to go as well. So it's an exercise in living minimalistically in terms of material goods, but then being enriched by the surroundings and by the relationships and by the communities that we entered into and the people that we got to know and, and the flavors that we experienced and the sights that we saw. So that was the arrangement that we had with them and they were, they were really adaptable and very keen. It also meant that we traveled very slowly. So Nigel mentioned that we spent a couple of months here, a couple of months there, and that to us was a, a really nice way of, of integrating ourselves into communities rather than just being sort of fleeting tourists. Traveling slowly and renting spaces along the way also gave the Biggers the opportunity for some clarity. We would rent these spaces and and we all agreed that in order for a space to feel like a home, we needed a kitchen to cook our own food, a, a couch to read on, a bed to sleep on, and we needed some way of, of getting music into the space. So yeah, it stripped away all the additional things that one might think that one needs to be content. Some might say that salt and pepper fit beautifully into a minimalist lifestyle. Salt and pepper and a blank calendar. And also having a different mindset of primarily just saying yes to experiences and opportunities and things that would come our way. We would just agree to come along or to go places. And that created a nice contrast from just the frenetic pace of the day-to-day where in all likelihood as parents we say no because we have to get on with the next thing. But if you don't have anything in the calendar at all, you don't have any to-do lists, you only have to-want-to-do lists, then suddenly you can say yes and just be a lot more spontaneous. Saying yes is something I think about all the time. In regular, busy life, where time is limited and life spreads you thin, I work on saying no all the time. But looking back, when I have said yes to opportunities that were hard or scary or unknown, the best things have happened. I love the idea of starting a want-to-do list. So about two weeks into our stay in Cambodia, we had an opportunity to go to a pepper plantation. Someone asked and we said yes. And so we went there not knowing what to expect, not knowing what we would see. And it was truly magical. So we arrived after about a half an hour tuk-tuk ride and it was a little oasis. It was these beautiful pepper vines that were really carefully looked after by the Cambodian farmers and the farm managers. 
and we were taken on a tour through the plantation and right away we're given a chance to try fresh green peppercorn so straight from the vine they produce clusters of berries and you can pick them when they're green and just eat them right away and they have sort of this mellow heat and just sun bursting flavor it's really amazing and it was a setting where our kids were really comfortable as well. There were puppies running around, there were kittens roaming around. And you could tell that the Cambodian farmers were really content with what they were doing. And just to back up a little bit, the pepper plantations in Kampot, in Cambodia, they use ancient harvesting practices. So centuries old techniques that have been passed down from generation to generation. And then there was a big upset during the Khmer Rouge era, where all the plantations were taken over by the Khmer Rouge and turned into rice plantations. And it wasn't until the mid-1990s that the farmers were able to reclaim the land and convert them back into pepper plantations. They're now using those old techniques that are very compatible with the, the soil, with the environment that respects what the ecosystem has to offer. And so you could feel that long-standing tradition of growing pepper and then we were just wowed by the flavor of the uh, peppercorns when we tasted them. When the Biggers returned to Canada, they said yes to something new once again. They decided to become peppermongers. They ship peppercorns across Canada, but they make their deliveries on bicycle to their Toronto customers. Have I mentioned how fit the Biggers are? All right, but before we move on, I think it's time for a little Peppercorn 101. There are four basic categories, green, black, red, and white. They grow on the vine, clustered like tiny grapes. Green peppercorns are the young berries. They're harvested for quick consumption. Nigel and Louisa said they would pop them like candy while walking through the plantation. Green peppercorns have a shelf life of four days or five days. So they get picked off the vine, they're sold in the market, and then people basically have to cook with them immediately. And they're delicious. They're a fabulous contribution to a lot of dishes. And the Cambodians cook a lot with those. We can't have those in North America because it's too far from the market. They couldn't get to Halifax within the, the four or five days before they spoil. So the Cambodians cook a lot with the green peppercorns. And we see a lot of those in the market. Black peppercorns are picked just as the berries turn from green to yellow. After harvesting, they're briefly boiled and then dried in the sun. This leaves them black and shriveled like a raisin. Red or pink peppercorns, as they're often called, have been left to fully mature on the vine and are harvested when they're bright red. They're also briefly boiled and left to dry in the sun as well. And Louisa says their heat is slightly mellower than their black counterparts. White peppercorns are actually just naked red peppercorns. They're left to fully ripen on the vine, then they're picked by hand, and their pink outer layer is removed by soaking the peppercorns for four to five days. Green, black, red, or white, each stage is different and nuanced, just like grapes. The harvesting is similar, as is the intensity of the labor. So I wonder, why is it that I have had essentially the equivalent of table wine in my kitchen for so long? It's something I use every day, black pepper. So why haven't I indulged in something better? Something that has an ethical story? Something that is layered with flavor? Something that's a little more worth it? I suppose when you think about all those salt and pepper shakers out there, people have been using bland, pre-ground pepper for a long time. And according to the internet, that's ever since the 1940s with the birth of modern ceramics, when it became easier to make shakers in a variety of shapes and designs. 
And I've also read that as long as there have been shakers, there have been collectors. Like my neighbor, Tony. Okay, Tony, I know you have some salt and pepper shakers here in this... What would you call this? It's my kitchen. What do you think? Well, it's a showroom. (laughs) It's a showroom. I'm on one of my Tony host doors. We've already been through his hallway with Nova Scotian watercolors hanging from floor to ceiling. I've already tried on his Bakelite bracelets, his coveted Haute sunglasses collection. Now we're in front of a tall wooden shelf where his salt and pepper shakers are on display between his collection of local pottery vases. Most of the salt and pepper shakers you see come from China, and you can usually always tell the old ones because they have uh, cork on the bottom. Here's one you've never noticed before. They're egg cups and salt and pepper shakers. And the egg sits right inside the cup. Yes. Oh, that's clever. But it's hard to find people who have poached eggs anymore. Oh, boiled eggs. Or boiled eggs, sorry. Yeah. But this is an egg cup. And what is Mm. this one? This is a salt and pepper. That's a kitten. Yes. Winking. And these can be quite expensive. They can go up to 150 bucks a pair. Why? Because people like cats. Maggie and Jigs, of course. Maggie is holding a rolling pin. And Jigs always has a, a cane with him. With his pipe and his pop belly and his vest. They always look the same. These little wooden ones, they, these are, uh, from, I think these come from Denmark. They're like little sailors with a vest, and they have like cardboard squeezers from the bottle. And then these guys? Well, they're just two little plastic celluloid rabbits. Don't you? You must know what celluloid is. They're like a plastic with eyebrows, and she's looking at him. <laughs> I'll have to describe those. Tony says he doesn't use his salt and pepper shakers. He's a collector, not an eater. We all have our priorities. But knowing now how quickly pepper loses its flavor once ground, I can only imagine what the powdered pepper inside those shakers tastes like. Nothingness, perhaps? Absolutely. Bland, flavorless, just specks on food, basically. Once it's ground, it loses its flavor very quickly, and you only have the heat. And after a certain period of time, you no longer have the piperine either. So you're so right. We see the shakers going out of business very soon. But you still see them in commercial establishments. And if there's one thing that people, I think, will pretty quickly be educated about, it's the fact that whatever you do, just use freshly ground pepper, because then you get the flavor as well as the heat. Speaking of heat, Louisa and Nigel haven't had a winter in almost two years. They say they're excited that the temperatures are dropping because comforting food calls out for pepper. All of us, Louisa, the girls, myself, we're all really excited about the temperatures finally dropping. (laughs) And in fact, we met somebody in the park the other day and agreed that we would get together and the, the, the trigger for us reaching out to each other and getting together would be once we start wearing socks and trousers. At the same time, it's great to trade in peppercorns and be a local peppermonger because on those cold days, people like to spice up their egg sandwiches. They like to spice up their, you name it. You asked earlier if pepper was part of our spice trip paraphernalia. And once we landed on these peppercorns in Kempot, we started grinding pepper on everything. Are you having egg this morning? Pepper? Yes. Salad? Yes. French toast? Oh, for sure. (laughs) And on it went. Chocolate milk? Yep. 
Louisa and Nigel recently had a drone pepper launch at a gelato place in Toronto called Death in Venice. It's not just any gelato place. The chef owner, Kaya Ogrus, an engineer turned chef and winner of Chopped Canada, makes the most unique flavors I've ever come across. Porcini and pecorino, Nutella and cookies, baba ganoush with tahini and candied lime. Basically, he uses whatever's in season, whatever is good that comes to his door. For the launch, he created a few combinations using Drome's Kempot peppercorns, flavors like sweet corn and black pepper, and strawberry with Thai basil and pink peppercorns. I just happened to be in Toronto recently, so I popped into Death in Venice with my seven-year-old son. Louisa and Nigel met me there, and Kaya sat down with us to say hello, with his baby boy smiling and bouncing on his lap. We talk flavors, challenges of owning a business, and how delightful it is when ingredients connect people. Luisa brought me some red peppercorns, which I cracked on top of a bowl of sorbetto. I was trying the late harvest Ontario strawberries with Thai basil, and this time around with juniper berries. Kaya says the gelato dances as it comes out of the machine. But each flavor dances differently. Sorbets are fluffy and light, and chocolate gelato is heavy and stiff. He hears different music with these dances. He hears bolero with the stiff chocolate. Cracking red pepper on top of my sorbetto is like the conductor, the maestro, and the baton. Sweet strawberries, layers of basil, all spiked with floral heat. It's a reminder that pepper is best not cooked, but cracked on top of your food right before you eat. It's all a bit dreamy. Call it Tom Pepper. Tom means dream. Traveling together as a family was a dream. Launching an enterprise has been a dream for us as well. Also, buying the peppercorns and supporting the communities in Cambodia, we're helping them fulfill their dreams of of a more sound economic future, which is really exciting. You can find Louisa and Nigel Bigger at drompepper.com and Kaya at deathinvenice.ca and Tony at local yard sales and auctions. I happen to have five packs of Drome Pepper. As Louisa says, unicorns fall from the sky when you try them. Seriously, I'll be giving away the packs to the first five people who leave us a helpful review on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, send us an email with your mailing address and your iTunes name to thefoodpodcast at gmail.com so we can keep everything straight. And then we'll send those lovely little packets your way. Can't wait to see the new connections we make from peppercorns. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at thefoodpodcast. And as always, thanks to Jen Grant for our amazing theme song. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 